everyone. It's that time once again. It's time for another of our monthly Comics Pals book clubs, where we discuss our favorite books on a month-to-month basis in Comic Pal style. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's Comics Pal style. Get it right. I thought I said that, but it's fine. Today, we're going to be talking about the book and character that put Dark Horse on the map, Hellboy. I'm your host for today, Philip Casey, and joining me today are fellow pals Sean Bartley. Hello, hello. Pete and Bessie. Yo, yo, yo. And Marco Cunolata. What's good? Oh, God. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Oh, we're all going to talk like this. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, For those of you reading along at home, today we're going to talk about the first four issues uh, of Hellboy, Seed of Destruction. Hellboy, of course, was created by the legendary artist Mike Mignola, and the scripting for these issues was done by uh, famous 80s uh, comic writer John Byrne. Uh, for this, uh, for these four issues, coloring was done by Mark Chiarello and Matt Hollingsworth. So, uh, without further ado, let's get into it. Guys, uh, what was your relationship to Hellboy before you started reading this? And I wonder if you've read any Hellboy before if you've, or if you've seen the movies. Uh, so I knew... That Hellboy had two movies, and I had never read a Hellboy book. I've only seen art. I've seen it uh, only in like in prints and stuff, and other artists or creators alluding to it. Uh, they speak highly of it, but it was always a series that was like a gap in my knowledge. Were you hyped for this at all? Yes, super hyped. Uh, I, I, it's always been a series I want to dive into, uh, especially knowing that it has so much praise, but getting a chance to... like finally like read it it scratched an itch you never saw the movies nope all right yeah cool uh how about you pete uh i also had zero relationship to hellboy before this uh i was obviously aware of the movies i'm a big fan of guillermo del toro's work so i didn't know that they were always like very well received but i when i was younger like when they were out i was too young to go see them and as an adult I had never read any of the books, and it was just felt like one of those things that kind of passed me by. But I always meant to get into Hellboy. It was always like a book that I, like Marco, wanted to kind of fill that gap and and get into it because either from just my own osmosis of understanding what little I did know about the character, as well as very high praise from a lot of people whose tastes kind of align with mine, it always seemed like a thing that would be very much up my alley, but I just never quite got the motivation to actually go and read it. Uh, And last year, I actually was about to start reading it right when we decided we were going to do this book club. So I put it on the back burner, and I was very, very excited going into uh, this one. This is probably the book club I've been looking forward to the most uh, that wasn't one of my own picks. So uh, I'm really excited to get into it. Uh, How about you, Sean? I don't have a ton of familiarity with Hellboy. I read some amount of issues of Hellboy and Hell, but if I... You jumped to the end. Sorry? You jumped right to the end. <laughs> yeah, it's just what happened to be coming out, and I I knew enough to know that Hellboy was a thing, so I was like, you know what? I'll give this a shot. But I think it was I think it was the fact that it came out really, really sporadically um, that threw me off, yeah. because there was, there was like a year between issues at some point, or something like that. So, um, that was always the thing that turned me off was like that it had these huge gaps and that I wasn't really sure like 
what the clear timeline was. It always felt like a very daunting thing to try to get into. Yeah. So I really am excited to talk about it because I did like what I read at the time. And it seemed like something that I would be into if I were to invest more into it. And here we are. So, yeah, I'm, I'm into it. Yeah. Uh, before we jump into the book, I wanted to ask you one more kind of kind of precursor question here for you guys. Uh, what is your kind of interest level and in kind of paranormal stuff? Uh, is that is that kind of your is that up your alley? Is it something you're interested in? I know Marco, this is like a big thing for you. It's in right in your wheelhouse. Yeah, definitely. And I think especially sort of the the horror aspect that this brings out. I think even. Um, and actually the fur, when you said paranormal, for some reason, the first thing I thought of was kill or be killed. Mm. And um, so, uh, I mean, yeah, this is, I feel like even up Sean's alley, like this yeah. is his kind of stuff. That's what I was going to say. Sean's a big horror guy. I, I mean, I absolutely love horror. I love paranormal things. And, uh, and, you know, we're going to talk about the story. This has a particular tone and vibe that's very sort of, um, it cre- like creepy, like the world. Like, the world isn't what you think it is. Like, there's all this crazy stuff happening behind your knowledge type thing. Um, so, for example, you know, it's the regular world. But, hey, there's a boy from hell that was just born and nobody knows. And, you know, it's just presented in this way that that I really appreciate about horror sometimes. Yeah, for me, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that that's something that matters too much to me. Like horror and the paranormal aren't something that are like a um like a button for me, you know, where I'm like, "Oh yeah, like I got to go seek that out." But I certainly enjoy stories like that when they're well executed. And I think Hellboy works for me specifically because uh for the same reason that Batman Gothic did actually, where I like horror, but I particularly like horror where horror isn't really the focus. You know, like I like elements of horror and elements of the paranormal more than I like horror stories or stories that are solely focused on that sort of thing. So this being a, you know, for all intents and purposes, a a superhero book that deals with those things, it kind of, it it hits a good, a good uh, balance for me. Something that, uh that sean said uh, that the like there's like the horror sort of behind everything and there's this larger story that you don't have the picture to it very much feels like and to what pete was saying like a, a lovecraftian sort of superhero <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah, yeah very much so uh, so I, I all about this yeah do you do you want to just uh jump right into it and talk about the lovecraftian themes marco because you seem pretty hyped about it uh yeah i mean f- the imagery especially i think the the thing that stuck out to me most well one i i know john byrne from his x-men work sure so i was kind of actually looking forward to uh this being scripted by him i, I was looking forward to actually reading it and mignola's art is amazing like he's it's gorgeous yeah super pulpy I mean, the guy's super... a legend for a reason right like yeah, yeah. even though yeah. that neither yeah. of us had read hellboy we've certainly seen a lot of his work for a reason yeah 100 and yeah, I mean, largely the sort of obviously the hell, the the hell oriented themes, some of the um, the again, the imagery with like tentacles and uh, Cthulhu sort of the this be there being a, a church, uh, not a church, but like a, a cult and then it being within sort of the the Agru Jihad. Yeah, 
like there's yeah like, like the weird sort of esoteric names like everything about this was so so cool um so definitely the i feel like it was a big influence lovecraft because yeah. it, it just seeped like the pages seeped that stuff yeah uh so i guess without further ado we can kind of jump into uh the story and the characters here so just a quick kind of summary of what uh, we read here if you haven't read at home and of course we encourage you to read along like i said before this is hellboy seed of destruction it's the first four issues of hellboy but basically this is an origin story of where hellboy came from how he came to earth uh and who his supporting characters are and uh who his antagonist is he combats the evil grigory rasputin the monk from czarist russia who teams up with nazis who are uh losing the war and trying to uh approach the occult into trying to win the war and in doing so uh they bring out hellboy who ends up being raised by the allies and uh trevor brutenholm who uh dies early in the story and takes us on our our, our quest here what do you guys think of hellboy the character uh he was he was fine um i liked his tone quite a bit just because it was a little bit a little bit different than what I'm used to, I guess. He's he's serious, and you know, there's there's a level of introspectiveness to him, but there's also, and this is like the very first Hellboy story, right? So yeah. I'm sure his character gets developed more over time. But there's a yeah. hint of like, uh, I'm too old for this kind of stuff, or like, a, <laughs> you know, like a like that kind of energy that I really liked. And I can see, if this were the only Hellboy story that ever existed, I can see where the movies got their idea for who Hellboy is, just from this. And I haven't seen the movies, but just from the trailers. You can tell... The, the casting, even. Right. Yeah. It's all sure, yeah. It's all here. And that's, that's actually really cool to see. Yeah, both Ron Perlman and uh, uh, David... Uh, Harbour. Harbour both exude that kind of, like, oh, I'm getting too old for this shit kind of vibe. That's a fair point. It it sort of brings a like an experience aspect where it's like all right, I know what I'm doing and I like that because it sort of comes in when like compared to old, new or Batman stories where he's young versus where he's like older and in it. Like you jump into the series and he like he knows his shit, he knows what he's doing. It it feels like it allows for a, a better, quicker pace. I think yeah, and that I enjoyed very much. Yeah, I, I think it's a really good way to introduce the character, too, because I, when we first mm-hmm. started reading this, I didn't actually realize that this was the first ever published Hellboy story. I wasn't, yeah. like, certain of that. So I went in, and I wasn't really knowing if I was going to need context or if there was stuff that came before or whatever. Um, but I immediately felt like, okay, I get this, right? Like, it does a, like it's an origin story, and it tells you the origin of Hellboy and gives you a sense of, like, who he is and who matters to him and like who are his allies, who are his enemies, like all that sort of thing. But it doesn't feel like an origin story because it's not all about here's how I became Hellboy. It's like it tells the story of how he came to be in this world and on this plane, but it's it's got its own narrative. It's dealing with something that is outside of him and, you know, his own personal life. Um despite the fact that it's connected to him and his origins. And I thought that was a really smart way to introduce the character and, and make me feel like a familiarity with him and his world, like very quickly without it feeling like rushed or unearned. And, and there are other stories that go in a little more 
context about Hell uh, Hellroy, Hellboy's uh, <laughs> Hellroy, <laughs> Hellroy, turn His is kind of uh, how he came to be, uh, like what, where he comes from exactly, stuff like that. Uh, Mike Mignola does go into detail later on, but I think for this story, he gives you all the exposition you need to know how he got here and what his deal is. Uh, I also gravitate toward the kind of uh, character Sean described. He has that kind of Wolverine quality to him. Yeah, he does. But it's what I liked about it is that it's certainly not overrepresented. Wolverine can be with Wolverine sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Over the years, that got out of hand. Uh, This just feels in the best way possible like a basic presentation of the Hellboy character. All the meat is here, but the filler and, and, and everything else is not played up as much as it maybe does get later. I have no idea. You know what's something like jumping off that point, Sean, that really worked for me is like it didn't feel like, okay, like you said, like it didn't feel overdone, right? And I feel like especially in comic books, there's a real tendency for stuff to feel overdone. And I don't think that there was nothing like that in this. When we get into some of the critiques, we can talk about that stuff. But I think what really worked for me was that, like, it it feels genuine because it doesn't try to oversell you on anything. Like, it is very much like, hey, here's this fucking really weird, ridiculous premise, but we're playing it straight. These characters aren't zany or, like, they're normal people in extraordinary circumstances. Even Hellboy, the character who's, like, a literal demon is pretty much just, like, a normal guy, you know? Um, and he, he feels like a cop, you know, or a detective or whatever. And, like, I like that because I think it, that's that, to me, is supernatural or sci-fi elements done best is when it feels real and lived in, even if it is insane, you know? And, like, something that doesn't, you know, I, I talked about this when we reviewed uh, Morrison's Green Lantern on the Comics Pals proper where, like, there are a lot of moments in that book where it just feels like it's so crazy and they're just, like, name-dropping things I don't understand and all that stuff, whereas when that that same sort of thing is done in Hellboy, it's done in a way that feels measured and doesn't ever, like, feel like it gets away from itself. Yeah, uh, it's interesting because you have a very visually distinct character who's a literal demon, and they use him as your gateway into this Lovecraftian world, as Marco put it, he's the everyman. Uh, he, you're the, yeah, yeah, he's the everyman. None of the other humans are the everyman. Hellboy is, and he has degrees of like very human qualities. Like he files down his horns because he's insecure about them because he looks like a huge demon, but he has those giant horns. I don't know if you ever seen what they look like, but it's something that's played up in other Hellboy stories and has certainly been depicted in art and stuff. So, uh, that's a good point, Pete. Uh, without, I, I don't want to necessarily single any of these characters out, but I wonder what you guys thought of his supporting characters. You know, your Liz Sherman, your Abe Sapiens. These are two characters who, uh, receive a lot of development of course later throughout the series here you're just introduced to them uh what do you guys think of hellboy supporting cast in these four issues i really like them like i didn't get a lot of them and i wanted more i wanted to understand them and their motivations and and those things better but 
I for what this is for a four issue miniseries that has to introduce a world and a cast of characters and also tell a story. I thought it did a really good job of giving me enough of their backstory and and little glimpses of their personality that made me want to know them more, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, I think for an introduction is about the best you can do because the focus here has really got to be Hellboy. Yeah, I think he he makes them interesting enough, like to to Pete's point, interesting enough that if he was going to do something more with them, I would want to come back. Mm -hmm. And I think that they also just help, again, build that world. It makes it feel lived in because these guys have been doing it for, you know, for years. Like they're they're just like running through almost like another gig or something. And And like they know each other. They have familiarity. Like you can tell that there's like uh, a rapport between them, you know? Mm -hmm. And they're again the, you don't get a lot so they are strong i would say characters to be introduced to but outside of you don't get like a, a full range of emotion from them yeah i i agree um i thought they were pretty cool i thought uh liz really got kind of shafted a little um yeah yeah she, she gets a lot of time later though mm. Yeah, I, I think uh, both characters are, are really interesting in the sense that I'm I'm dying to know more about them. But I think what Marco said is something that stuck with me and, and really made it cool and made this such an easy story to slip into is that all of this is, is whatever for them. This is not their first story. This is our first mm-hmm. story with them. And that's a, that's such a different thing. That's such a different approach that you take when you're writing something because this isn't, yeah, this is this is the first Hellboy story, but it's not an origin story. You know, it's it's that's very different, and I love that, and it makes it easier to accept this, and it makes it easier to accept them, even though we don't know a ton about them. They are who they are. Yep. That's not going to change, and we're going through a story of many with these characters. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you guys about that, actually, because uh, this is an origin story, but to Sean's point, it's not really an origin story. It, it's a day-in-the-life uh, story with these characters, but it's your introduction to them. How would you like that as kind of a storytelling device? I think it's brilliant. Yeah, like, I, I it's a thing I wish people would do more often, because, like, there are so many books that I really enjoy um that even when i recommend them to people not just books like anything like there are a lot of things that take a while to get going you know before they really get comfortable with who their characters are and what their dynamics are and this feels like if 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 i had found out that this was like the fifth or sixth hellboy story i wouldn't have been surprised you know the fact that it's an origin but it feels this lived in and this well realized i think it speaks a lot to how much thought mike mignola put into developing these characters while he was coming up with them, you know, and conceptualizing them. Because, you know, like my like my favorite book ever, right, is Invincible, and it takes like six issues before it really starts. Whereas, like, this is a complete story that if it was the only Hellboy story you ever got, it would be a fun, oh, wow, this is a really fun 90, like, example of good 90s comics, you know? Yeah. But it serves really well as the jumping off point for a broader universe. So it's an interesting question because I recently read Elsewhere. It's an image book by uh, Jay uh, by Jay Faber, and 
he starts it like this is your first time coming into the world and this is your first time coming into it and then just thinking about the question and putting those two books sort of side by side you can sort of see the how starting on what sean said starting in just like another day is so powerful and easy to slip into just because you know you're you have to just accept certain things you know you're not being introduced to them and have to question them you're being like oh no this is just something that happens and you have to be okay with that or or you accept okay i guess i'm not supposed to know that right now like i'm i will sure. I'll learn that later yeah yeah i i totally agree um th- this actually reminds me a lot of um the the thing that comes to mind the most is is uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer or X Files, where it's Monster of the Week, uh, and yes. if you watch any given episode except you know the very first, um, and Buffy changes later, but the first season and most of the second and all of X Files pretty much. You can watch any random episode, and it's like okay, the characters are the same, they they stay the same, uh, they don't really change a ton. And they're dealing with whatever they're dealing with this week. And that's what this felt like. You don't get that a lot in comics because they're heavily serialized. And I yeah. love the fact that this feels more akin to what you would get on a 90s television show uh, than you would any comic or more heavily serialized affair. I don't know if Hellboy stays this way. It but pretty much I, does. I love this approach. It's really cool. Yeah, it's it's funny because that was something that was like such a turnoff for me in terms of getting started on Hellboy. But now that I read the first one, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad it's like this. I love that it's like an anthology kind of thing that has an underlying continuity, continuity. <laughs> <laughs> we did have a listener get mad at you for that once. Several. Um, <laughs> I, 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 that's another reason why I thought Hellboy was perfect for our book club. Because we yeah. could put this down and come back to it a year from now, and we could a whole new adventure isolated in you know another four to eight issues or whatever. I imagine that yeah. by the time we do another one of these Hellboy book clubs, I'll have read every single thing. <laughs> 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 uh, but yeah, no, and I, I think Sean's point about it being very similar and akin to Buffy or X Files is. is is very true and 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 it honestly is a contemporary of those because i believe this came out in 94 so uh has that very 90s horror aspect uh, to it and even liv uh, her design looks very 90s in a lot of ways yeah yeah i mean liz like very like when i saw liz the first time it very much reminded me of um i always forget which one's which Mulder and scully which one's which scully scully yeah like she kind of looks like her yeah you know yeah uh that point being made the the design of the characters are very dynamic oh my god they're, dude they're so like when you talk about it's it's hard to make a character that can like last the, the test of time over a long period of time nowadays and i think these four characters including rasputin are examples of that uh, maybe Liz less so because I don't feel like she's like she's not I'm not saying she's not well designed but I don't think that she's like as memorable looking yeah. as like the other three that you mentioned because like you know the bad guy has like a a very like oh he's a satanic Nazi priest kind of like it's it's <sighs> it's not like there's no touchstone for it right but like Hellboy and Abe Sapien I think specifically are really inspired designs because they are things that are familiar 
Yeah. But, or I guess I, I, it's more that there are, there are a lot of elements of things that are familiar recontextualized in a new way. Like, we've seen demons before, but, like, I, you know, you ne- you've never seen a demon in a trench coat with a pistol, and, like, he has, like, a very distinct look, you know, Hellboy. Yeah. And Abe is the same way, both in his costume and out of it. Like, out of it, I mean, he's the creature of the back Black Lagoon, but when he's got those, like, crazy goggles and the hat and everything, like, it has the, this very, like sci-fi your like vibe to it that feels like very like i feel like the characters feel hellboy feels a little more modern but abe feels very representative of the time that the book is taking place in like he looks He's, like a 50s monster movie character yeah. you know realized as a superhero which is really unique He's, um, uh, oh my god, I'm afraid of the name, but, like, the fish people from the Lovecraft world? I don't know, man, I'm not an expert on Lovecraft. Damn, I forgot, I forgot what they're called. But I'm looking anyway. it up. I thought, that's what I thought you were gonna bring to the table, baby. <laughs> Forgetting what they're called. Uh, well, while you're looking that up, Pete, uh, on the comment of designs, uh, I, the other one that comes to mind is, uh, Carl, uh, Ruprecht Cronin. The uh, the member of the Thule Society that has like the robot body with <laughs> the gas mask. Oh my god! Yeah, so cool. That's just a very cool design. I, I actually that whole that whole that. lineup of like the Nazi bad guys oh. that weren't even involved in this. They're yeah. so well designed. I was like, yeah. where the fuck are these mm-hmm. guys? They'll, they they show up. Don't worry. Well, I, yeah, the end of the book pointed to that, yeah. and I got so excited. I was like, dude, I want to see that weird jar guy with the gorilla. Like, that's. Yeah. <laughs> I love I love gorillas as villains. So when I saw that, I was like, yes, who the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> uh, and they're called they're called deep ones. I was trying okay. to find it and I could not. I'm sorry, Mark. Oh, I'm still looking at no, the it, Lovecraft's page. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's deep in there. Yeah, Marco went through the Lovecraft Wikipedia. <laughs> you got to know the books. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was uh, looking and I was like, oh, this one's about undersea. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, 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 I kind of put a bow on the characters. What do you guys think of Rasputin? as a character obviously they borrowed from a real world person Rasputin, uh, Rasputin like I said was a uh, personal monk to the czars during the 1900s 19 teens that uh, everyone uh, felt very <laughs> uncomfortable around because, he's like probably the most famous charlatan in history <laughs> yeah uh, he was kept around to heal their youngest boy who was next in line to be czar who had hemophilia uh, and he was the only one supposedly that could uh coagulate his blood clots uh and of course he was to pete's point a giant charlatan and uh he's reimagined here to be uh recruited by the thule society by the nazis to uh bring forth the end of the world basically uh that's kind of his motive not hitler's motive uh what do you guys think of rasputin he was fine he felt like a suitable means to an end um, I, I didn't find him to be a particularly interesting or compelling villain, but <clears throat> I also didn't, he didn't lean into as many cliches as he easily could have in terms of like how he spoke and, you know, how he looked and everything. Like he has a great design and his goals, his attitude, his personality were clearly defined. So it was easy for me to get into the conflict 
right? And I thought that he served as a good foil for Hellboy because he has this very grandiose plan and this, you know, illusion of himself as this, this such a, an important man and there's nothing you can do. And, and Hellboy's very much just like, you know, kind of like, fuck you. And I felt yeah. like that played up the kind of attitude that I was supposed to get from him, that he was very like, whatever, man. Like, I don't need to know about my origin. I know who I am. But, like, he really doesn't, you know? And, like, that worked. Like, I thought that he worked well as a mirror to place up against Hellboy and teach me more about him and his values. Yeah, um, I, I, I really liked... I really like this dude. Um, <laughs> I think because he's just crazy. <laughs> and if, if this were, you know, eight issues or whatever, maybe the the shtick would get old. But you know, he really only is a is a is a major player for the you know the last two half the story. I, yeah. yeah, and yeah, I like this whole thing. You know, is. I like his gimmick. Um, <laughs> I like. I just really like villains who are, you know, down with the devil that are tied into something crazy, who are probably also in over their own heads. Uh, yeah, I like all that, and and he's evil, but he feels like he's pure evil, but also kind of like kind of you know dumb. In the sense that he's so unbelievably arrogant, and you read his dialogue, and it's just like, oh my god! <laughs> he's like a James Bond villain, where he's like, "Let me explain my entire plan and why it will never ever be foiled," and then he just fucking gets punked, you know, I, I, like I love totally the, clowned out. I love the parts where he references how everyone else is dumb, like, "Oh my god, they didn't understand <laughs> yeah, yeah. what I was doing. They could have never conceived of this." <laughs> It's like, uh, like, was it Lord Magnus from uh, Klaus? I was going to bring him up. I thought that he actually was like such a, it's such an interesting counterpoint because all the things that we said, all the things we complained about the count in Klaus are just as true of this character. He's just better written and he's better designed. Well, the biggest difference for me is that he's not a sniveling weasel. The the villain villain from Klaus was just annoying. This guy is kind of funny, um, but, you know, he's just like a pure evil Looney Tune, which I'm fine with. And he's a bad motherfucker. Like, like, that's the thing is, like, Hellboy makes it clear that, like, he's really fucking powerful. So it's like, yeah, like, he loses because of his arrogance, but, like, he almost won, you know? It's like, he's a bad motherfucker. Hellboy's just a badder motherfucker. Well, Hellboy just always gets back up. Hellboy didn't really do much. The, to be honest, though, like he actually didn't do anything at all. It reminded me of our review of Castlevania, where it was like there's a large portion of like the the uh, most relevant action where he's just laying on the ground, like oh fuck, <laughs> like <laughs> that's my kind of hero. Well, and then it's funny because like he doesn't even get the killing blow. Nope. Like I, dude, that scene was my favorite scene of the entire book. Though this dude's just in the middle of his big fucking monologue, and then all of a sudden you just see Abe fucking come in and throw a harpoon through his chest. That was, <laughs> that was wild, cool. dude. I I laughed my ass off. I was like, this is great. Like this speaks to exactly what I like about this book. 
You know, it's like that's such an anticlimactic ending to this like epic struggle, but it doesn't <laughs> undercut the drama. Right. You know, like nah. it's it's funny, but like it works. Like it, again, it reminded me a lot of Batman Gothic, where there's like this weird like haunted house, and then at the end you're kind of like. Did Batman really even do anything here? Like, yes, but also no. Like, he was kind of just a conduit for this to be finished, you know? And that yeah. was kind of cool. Yeah, no, absolutely. And one thing I really like about this whole story is it it, it, it all ties up together pretty nicely. Uh, everything is kind of, you know, everything, there's no real loose ends for these four issues. Like, Rasputin brought him into this world, and something that I like about Hellboy is he has to live with the fact that him being here is because he's meant to be the end of the world. He's that tool that's meant to bring the end of the world. And that's something he has to live with. And Rasputin constantly brings it up to him. Like, Oh no, you're going to bring the end of the world, whether you like it or not. And like, that was something that made Hellboy really appealing to me as a character, even though I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like any of the main characters were super well-developed. But I felt like I got a real good sense of what Hellboy's character is in terms of, like, not him as a, as a quote-unquote character, like, his character as a person, you know? Like, I think it's really cool that he is this symbol of evil in that he's a devil and, like, all these things and he's supposed to be this harbinger of destruction. But, like, he's a force for good, you know? He's chosen to align himself with the forces of good. And, like, when there's that that moment where he's like, I might be from hell, but if I am, I have no idea what it looks like and all that stuff. And like, he makes a comment where he says like that he prays. And I thought that was so interesting. The idea of a demon praying to God seemingly to save the world from hell. It's like poetic, you know, it's almost like, like paradise lost or something. What do you guys think of the kind of inciting incident of this story where Brutenholm goes missing and uh, Hellboy has to go find him looking for the, the, the two Cavendish boys uh, and you have the whole Plague of Frogs thing. Uh, how do you like kind of the this kind of lore that kind of establishes the setting here but also kind of sets the events in, in motion here? I love it. It was very... Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, this. it has everything that I need. A cursed family. Uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> I love cursed families. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> That's Sean the post quote of 2019. Sean has very specific buttons, and Elway presses them all. I do, uh, especially when it comes to horror. I, I love cursed families, animals that are evil. Uh, and that <laughs> that somehow represent the end of the world. I love all of that. Uh, trips that go really wrong, uh, where people come back changed. Uh, everything about the way this starts. I also love, um, even the, the what's her name? The, the old woman? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, uh... Whatever her name is. I love older women who 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 are cr- kind of creepy and have a secret, like all of that. <laughs> Every, everything about this. Lady Emma Cavendish. Yeah, perfect. It it started off it started off uh, pulpy, and that's like what hooked me into it. it. There's this like exactly what what Sean said. There's just this com- like combination of, of everything that is paranormal and mystery and horror, and that's how it starts you off. And just like, damn, I'm I want I want to jump into this. I really like paranormal stories that take place in the past, too. 
Yeah. Because, like, I, for whatever reason, like, paranormal stuff set in the modern day is always hard for me. Like, um... Huh. And not, like, necessarily, like, as a rule, but, like, there's something about, like, there being... Phones. Yeah! There's something about there being ghosts and shit in a world with smartphones that just feels weird. Whereas, like, oh, like, 1950s Nazi occult? Like, yeah, no, like, I, I buy that. So, yeah, so, you catch on. Yeah, no, I was just gonna say, um, I really, I really do love that, that tone. And that's what makes me feel like this, this story, if Hellboy is like this more often than not, I don't yeah. even know that Hellboy makes sense for film in the sense that th- this story isn't, like, I could read, I could watch a show where something like this happens every week. You know, okay. Um, yeah, I like the tone, and I don't know if I don't I don't know what the Hellboy movies are like because I haven't seen them. So maybe I should check myself on that respect. But so the first one is very good. <laughs> the first one is actually a straight adaptation of this. Cool, and oh. <clears throat> it very well may be good. But I think with one of the things that I like about uh, shows like the X Files and Buffy, early Buffy, is that they don't look that great. And I, I know that sounds weird, but they have this almost like season one Game of Thrones, like almost this lack of quality, the darker colors that you don't get B-films. a lot in. Huh? It's like a B film almost. Yeah, you don't get that a lot in movies because they're so high Slow tech. Vibe. Like Terminator One, you know. I like that look, and I think a Hellboy show could benefit from being lower fi in a weird way dude uh. i i actually really agree with that like in the same way like um are, are any of you guys fans of uh evil dead or army of darkness no uh it's been years since i've seen them well when they made that show like they made a show that was like a oh. spin-off of that franchise it was uh, on, yeah. like showtime right and uh I, that was another I felt like was a match made in heaven where like the more practical B movie kind of effects like that's part of the charm of that series. And I, I definitely agree with you, Sean. I feel like Hellboy could really benefit from that. And that was kind of the look that the original movies had. They were way more practical than they were CGI. And that was at the time where CGI was like the hotness, you know? And so many films from that era don't look good or hold up because of that. But Hellboy does still look good. I think it's because he is drawn, like, to be, he's more inked than he is drawn. And I think that lends, like, a minimalist style. So the, the B movie aesthetic can sort of be translated to it being obviously darker and having different colors. And, like, and this, like, it's funny because uh, Matt Hollingsworth is one of the reasons that I started reading Witches. He's one of, like, one of my favorite colorists. And to think that this is where he got his start is awesome because he That's really cool. kills. Like, he he fucking slays on this. And it's very much that. It, it's these dry colors. They're sort of faded. They're not necessarily, um, like, super bright. It's just... That is the sort of B movie aesthetic, There's and I like think that's why it probably fits. It, you know, yeah, all of its all of its flats essentially. Like everything here is flatted. And Very like, few gradients, if any. Really good use of shadows. Mm-hmm. 
Like, yeah, he's all inked, basically. Like, there's, like, that scene where Hellboy and Abe are talking before we see Abe's true form for the first time, and Abe's, like, totally cast in shadow, and how often Hellboy's face is obscured by blackness and stuff. Like, it's just got a very, like, bold, distinct style. Uh, The characters have, like, thick outlines, too. Very thick, yeah. And all the colors... Like, every page looks like a page you can hang up uh, on a wall or something. Yeah, yeah, it very much has that quality to it of, like, I I wouldn't, I would like to have this represented somewhere. It very much, like, feels like an artist book. Like, I actually didn't know that Mike Mignola didn't do the scripts or the scripting until reading this, you know, and like actually seeing that credit in the beginning. Uh, And it very much feels like a book that's art led the conversation. He, he does most of the writing for most of his books, not all of them uh, for most of the Hellboy books. I mean, so isn't this the, isn't it the, I'm sorry. Isn't this the, isn't this the only one where he does write? No, he, there's a few ones later where there's Richard Corbin and Duncan uh, oh, Fregretto. Okay. There's a few. Uh, I, I read that like he, between he, 2005 and 2008, he kind of took a step back from writing a lot of Hellboy yes. stories because he was like managing the brand and the movie was out and all that stuff. Right. But uh, definitely after this particular four issues, he does the writing. Uh, there's a similar kind of progression with Frank Miller and his Daredevil run where he began doing more and more of that stuff, so... That's interesting. I really thought that uh, that John Byrne, like his script, is is really good here. I really, really like. He's a it. good writer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, go ahead, Phil. Well, uh, there's a, he's a uh, high profile '80s comic book author for a reason. His X Men, as Superman, uh, are you know considered among you know the best ever for both those titles for good reason he, he he knows how to tell kind of a cohesive story with his dialogue off the top of my head i can't recall a thing that i've read by john byrne i'm sure i have because you know you cross paths with these people all the time um probably x-men i would imagine you've read some of his x-men right and uh just just really really appreciated this script but you mentioned the art driving the story and how great the art is. And there's one page that I just haven't been able to stop thinking about. And it's the page where the Rasputin, I guess, he yeah. he jumps through the fire and he comes for Hellboy. Oh my god, yeah. He's like, I'm still your master, boy. It's past time I destroyed you. Just fantastic looking. Love it. Hey, Sean. Hey. So he joined Claremont on X-Men starting with number 108. He actually um, helped write such classic story arcs as Dark Phoenix Saga. Oh, wow. There you go. There you go. I did not know that. Yeah, I mean, he was responsible for the entire Superman uh, reboot and rebranding in 1986. He did the Man of Steel six-issue short series, and you know he's the guy who reinvented Lex Luthor as a businessman instead of a mad scientist. Pretty much everything you saw in the 90s Superman cartoon came from John Byrne's Superman run. So, huh. <clears throat> I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say about, or what you guys think about this, because they're, I, overall, I really like the script. 
I think okay. that the I think that the dialogue is good. I, I did think that Rasputin's manner of speech was like a little weird, but I felt like that played into his character, so that feels like an intentional choice. There were All a right. few other things about it that very much felt like late eighties, early nineties comic book scripting that were like a little bit off for me. I felt like some of the some of the like narration was very stilted. Um at like one of the things that I noticed, especially I think because I was reading all of the issues right in a row, rather than like you know uh, month to or month whatever. or something like that. Right? Uh, he uses the 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 phrase "a piece of my brain" or "the piece of my brain" or "the part of my brain" like so often. There's a lot of like very repetitive language, and the stuff that is repetitive a lot of times is weird like there's stuff where it's like this doesn't feel like the way that somebody would think or like have that kind of internal monologue or whatever and that that was like very strange i thought about that and i think it's deliberate uh i think it's meant to be that kind of gumshoe kind of style of narration Mm -hmm. the part of my brain that says maybe I shouldn't go in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, the last issue when Rasputin is, like, going through his whole thing and he's, like, explaining his whole plan or whatever, like, there, there's just moments where, like, yeah, yeah. I would stumble over the dialogue and I'm like, this is a little choppy. Clunky. Or clunky, yeah. And that was very typical of the time, you know, especially when it comes to, like, internal narration and stuff, but... Uh, it was funny because for how good I thought it was, there were moments where I'm like, this is, uh, this feels weird, you know? Yeah, I think that's John Byrne. That's that 80s style writing. I don't notice it as much in the rest of Hellboy, but that's a fair enough point. And, and it's fine. I really like that era of comics. Like, that's really my favorite era of, of most superhero stuff. So, like, I'm used to it. But it was very, like, it was weird because it was inconsistent. Yeah. Like, there were times where it felt totally natural mm. and times where things yeah. were like, this is a little clunky. But the the one thing that really, like, my only real genuine complaint with anything when it comes to script or, like, art or any of that stuff was uh, actually the lettering, which there's so much narration in this book, which is fine. I don't have a problem with that. But the fact that there was no color over the narration to denote who was talking and that it would switch, like sometimes on the same page and have the exact same dialogue like narration box but you didn't know who was talking all the time was like very not confusing but there were multiple moments where like it would have been so easy to just be like hellboys is red and rasputin's is this color and you know abe's is blue Mm, or whatever and like the fact that it would go it would switch from panel to panel on the same page was like a little disorienting and it was it was really my only complaint in terms of like actual execution of the product. Well, Abe's dialogue was blue. And um Was his narration though? Yeah, his narration's blue. Really? Yep. Maybe we're right at, maybe we read different prints. Maybe. That's possible. Yeah, because I cause I, I might have read a reprint or something. But uh and then when when Rasputin is is, you know, doing his thing it's the same color as Hellboy's, but it's really clear that it's Rasputin. You can tell by the you can tell by the diction. But beyond yeah. that, the he, it it starts with him. It starts with a um with a uh, word balloon coming straight from him, and then goes into yeah. the box. So that's how you know that he's the one that's you know chatting you up. Um, I didn't have a problem with hmm. the the dialogue. 
I like the fact that it was, you know, uh, that, that Rasputin was over the top and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I didn't really take, I didn't really take issue with that, uh, partially because of the time period and also because of the kind of character he's supposed to be. Just, I don't know, it just didn't, uh, didn't bother me at all. I was actually really hooked into what he was saying. Yeah, I think because I like I knew of John Byrne, I, I kind of just took it and I was like, "Oh, this is cool." So I I, I also didn't. I, I found it enjoyable. Yeah, I, I took no issue with it either. Um, so I want to know if you guys are interested in reading more Hellboy going forward. Yeah. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, maybe we can do this in the future. I would love to. um and uh i think you guys should give the first movie a watch too because it is very good and obviously we did this uh because the new hellboy movie is coming out in a couple months so we kind of wanted to get a little bit ahead of the ball here uh do you guys have any final thoughts on this book before i start wrapping it up i think this is an excellent introduction to hellboy and from what I've heard from Phil and some of the other adventures, you know, the character becomes a lot more focused and, and uh, these characters get a lot more meat to them. So I think for that alone, I'm excited to read more. And yeah, I, I mean, this book was awesome from an art and writing perspective. Uh, amazing from a coloring perspective. It, it was everything that I wanted from a, a sort of horror focused, horror leaning book. Good stuff. Yeah, I'm really excited to read more Hellboy. Uh, for sure, this this did it for me. And then I'm also excited to see what the movies are like, to see if they got his character right. I think there's a there's a tone with this book. There's almost a like a morose, like a sadness that 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 is on yeah. that is in every line of dialogue that that Hellboy delivers, and you know the aesthetic and everything else. And that's not something that. I mean, people would people would turn to Batman, I, I guess, and say, "Oh, well, Batman's like that," and I, I really don't. It's I don't different. agree. Yeah, Batman is much more of a heroic figure, much more of a superhero than Hellboy is. Hellboy just it feels very different than really anything you're he feels getting. Like the spirit. Sorry, he's like he's a, he feels like the spirit. He's a you know blue, uh, almost like a blue collar superhero. It's that. It's that somber detective thing because being yeah, like a yeah. detective is an isolating occupation. And it's got kind of that jazzy feel to it. I think that's what it is, Sean. Like it feels because it, it, this book reminded me of a lot of Brubaker stuff and like some some of the some of the Phillips you know influences. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, um, I think that they what they do is just a tad different because it tries to be like even killer be killed tries to it tries to be very much like everything happening is normal except that there is this demon right like everybody's normal right. we're all human yeah. there's this there's this demon um whereas this is like this is just the way the world is you know yeah and that's that's so I just I really love that and it's and it's so cool and there there isn't there isn't at least not to me maybe I'm wrong I didn't get a deeper message out of the book yeah I I, I often will try to 
thresh that out if I'm hosting an episode, like, uh, you know, the symbolism and stuff. I think this book is very much a face value book. Yeah, it, it really is about the tone. It's about the, the feelings you're supposed to get. And that's not surprising considering that, you know, an, a, a primarily an artist is the one who developed this yeah. whole deal. Um, because a lot of that is, you know, you look at an image and it makes you feel a thing. You don't need a writer to tell you the story. If you took the word balloons and took the writing out of this, you would understand exactly what's happening. That's um, a very that's, eloquent way of putting it. That's yeah, and I. Oh, go ahead, John. I'm sorry. I was just going to say that's a credit to to what Mike was able to accomplish here. I I wholeheartedly agree with that, and and I think what's interesting to me is like it's not about. To me, it's not about, like, symbolism and deeper meaning or anything like that. Like, what it's trying to say, it it wears very much on its sleeves. Like, it has things to say, but it doesn't try to hide that, right? Like, what it wants to say about Hellboy is very clear. What it wants, like, and all it wants to say is things about its characters. It's a character-driven story, and I like that. I, I, like, as much as I like story like you know we've done a lot of stories on this book club that have deeper meanings about you know racism or war or whatever but like i like character driven stories i like stories that are about human drama more than anything that is the thing that appeals to me the most and especially when it's speaking about the humanity of someone that isn't a human you know yeah. that yeah, i think yeah, yeah. is often like it's why superman is such a powerful figure Right? It's like he's not a human, uh, but he is a man. It's reevaluating what a human is through someone that isn't human size. Mm-hmm. Right. It's that humanity is something that is more, uh, that is greater than human beings, right? That what we, what we call humanity is, is really, you know, it, what it really means is like the celebration of the human condition. Of being a being that's alive, that feels, that cares about others, that you know has uh, that has their own set of values and all those sorts of things, and, and exploring that subject matter with a character who is inhuman, I think is um, it's very validating. You know, it speaks to a inherent truth and inherent commonality. I think among us all, and I think that's why. Oftentimes, as readers, we gravitate towards characters like that. You know, I think that's part of the appeal of, like, uh, speaking of Guillermo del Toro, like a, a film like The Shape of Water, right? It's like the humanity of this of this creature, right? Starring Abe Sapien. Yes, very much so. <laughs> I think it's the same guy, right? It's the same guy who played Abe Sapien in Hellboy, I think, doing the the uh, the creature. In, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's really interesting that you, that you said that it's validating for humans because I don't, I don't know that that's, I guess that's a real humanist way to look at it, which makes sense as you're a human. But, um, <laughs> I actually, I actually look at it a lot more as a, as a commentary on, on nature because Hellboy is a demon. So he's not a human. Therefore, the values that are intrinsic, um, the, the, like the, well, the humanity of humans doesn't necessarily, you would think, apply to him because he's a demon. But he's raised by good people, so he has values that reflect values that make sense to humans. Um, mm. So what that tells me is, look at how important nature is that and, yeah. er, and, and nurture. That you could take 
a literally a demon, you know, teach him things that are about that are that make uh, teach him things that are intrinsically good, and this is what happens. And I look at Superman the same way. Uh, if Superman was an evil person, would you say that he was inhuman? Would you say that he was less human than he is because he's good? Because evil is just as human as good is. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. And Hellboy doesn't look like a human. And he has to interact with his environment the way he looks, despite having this upbringing. And I think that's so incredibly fascinating. And I hope, and I'm sure, I mean, the genius behind this, that future Hellboy stories do address that. Yeah, I'm really excited to go into more Hellboy stories with you guys. Yeah, only, you fucking too, man. Honestly, I don't know about you guys. I'm down for a 15-year late review <laughs> of the original <laughs> Hellboy film. Let's do it. <laughs> sure. Yeah, we could do that. We've talked about that many times off the air. But, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, would you guys recommend this to any of your friends? I know that's a dumb question, but... Yeah, absolutely. Like, Never. This just dribble? <laughs> Never. I don't know that I would recommend it to like anyone, but if you're a fan of superheroes, if you're a fan of paranormal stuff, if you're a fan of uh, alternative comics, yeah, like absolutely. Uh, the story's good, the characters are interesting and unique, and the art is incredible. Like, even. Even knowing how good the art is just from absorbing Hellboy through osmosis, like, I was so blown away by just the, yeah. the sheer quality of the line work and the coloring. If if you're listening at home and you don't have physical copies of this, uh, I would highly recommend the library editions. I believe there's six or seven in total. I have about five of them. Uh, they're printed on you know, uh, kind of like archival paper, kind of like an absolute edition. Mm, nice. And nice. it really highlights uh, Mignola's art and the coloring. Uh, I read it digitally, and I think I would like to read it on paper. And they're not too expensive either. You can get them between 20 and $40. Uh, so absolutely worth picking up. I feel like they reprint Hellboy like every year. <laughs> these have been coming up for the last about three or four years, I'd say. I've been slowly picking these up. Uh, so yeah, my question to the listener now is if you have a specific Hellboy story arc that you'd like for us to read next, uh, let us know. And the best way you can do that, dear listener, is by hitting us up at thecomicspals at gmail.com. And if that doesn't work for you, for whatever reason you don't have an email, you can hit us up at all social media platforms with the same name, the Comics Pals, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram even. So please hit us up. And uh, if you want us to read anything else other than Hellboy, you can give us a book club recommendation there as well. Uh, and make sure you go back and listen to our other book club books as well, because there's some good ones back there as well. Uh, so with that, I'm Phil with the Comics Pals with Sean, Pete, and Marco. No kale. <sighs> I don't know what happened to him. He, Who needs him? He has a concussion. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Uh, Phil, bef before you go, uh, just the next book club is going to be Captain Marvel. Nice. So, yeah, that's in hype and anticipation for the Captain Marvel film that's coming out. Do you want to give them any information? Like, it's just Captain Marvel. What books are they reading? 
Yeah, Mark. Uh, we don't know yet. Oh, we don't oh, know good. yet. Oh, good. All right, great. Keep it tuned to our social media, babies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, no, you know what? You can do also, you can listen to our weekly podcast, The Comics Pals. You, we can get wherever podcasts are sold. Uh, and we will keep you updated through there what Captain Marvel issues we'll be reading for that book club in February. That's smooth as a baby's bottom. And until next month, <laughs> until next month, take care everyone see you next time take care guys